Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollar on. It can be hard to know what to play next. Now, in that vein, this podcast has gone down a lot of rabbit holes and will continue to go down a lot of rabbit holes in the gaming world. But today, we're going home. We're going to go back to where it all started uh, for so many of you who have listened to this show and for others, and for me, really, as an independent podcaster. And we're going to go back and visit Bolt Action. But before we get into Bolt Action, I think we're... uh, It isn't quite bolt action. We're taking a hard left or right turn, whichever way you want to say. And we're actually going to look at something that's really exciting. Now, in Australia, in New Zealand, we have a very active bolt action community. Um, You may have heard podcasts like the LRDG, the Ghost Army podcast, the Bacon Burgers, and all of those podcasts sort of represent uh, a large part of the Australian gaming community but it's not inclusive of everything. In fact, it doesn't include a large part of Australia, um, often the left-hand side or uh, you know, Perth, which has a very rich gaming community in and of itself. After all, uh, quite a few of the army lists that came out of the Empires and Flames book came directly from uh, an author there. Today, we're going to speak to someone who has been Uh, working in conjunction with several people in that gaming community, um, who's in yet another one of our fine southern countries, um, southern hemispherian countries, uh, as in New Zealand, our uh, closest and lovely neighbors. Um, And we are going to talk about one of my favorite eras of modern warfare. Um, And I know that sounds strange when you start talking about that, but... Let's 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 introduce the guest, and then we'll talk about the battle. Um, of course, uh, we're talking about New Zealand, and of course, we're talking about Bolt Action Vietnam. Uh, I would like to introduce longtime Bolt Action player and author of this rule set, David Mulder. Welcome to Cast Ice. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me on. Oh man, I am so excited to talk Vietnam with you today. I don't even know where to start. Uh, well, actually, I do. I have a long list of questions, but before we get to any of that. Um, what took you from traditional bolt action sort of down this historic rabbit hole into a whole new era of conflict? Well, um, I think it was an idea of branching out, uh, looking at some, uh, Vietnam War pictures that have, that have had come up around T-3485s mm-hmm. and, um, thinking about, in what way we can use utilize plastics, especially obviously the warlord plastics around um, mm-hmm. making some. So my first miniature that I made in the start of it all was a um, plastic MVA soldier using the uh, warlord Japanese. Nice. So I got I got hold of some um, War Games Factory Apocalypse Survivor sprues, weapon sprues mm-hmm. for the AKs and oh, the yeah. RPGs and um, Started a conversion. So, how good are those sprues, by the way? Right. Uh, I mean, you are just drowning in weapons. You get everything from M16s to AK47s to chainsaws to Uzis to Mac10s to everything else. 
Oh, that's so good. <laughs> slightly small, um, but only slightly small. But if you have the right bolt action plastic arms, um, they're really easy because those often have the butts built into the the arm. It's easy just mm. to cut the weapon and then just stick it on, and it fits like a glove, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. And World oh, War II. Oh, using... sorry, go ahead. Unless you're using Soviets. <laughs> oh, God, yes. It's just a straight switch. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> they don't have the weapons in the arms, and they just plug right in. And, it, I mean, those sprues have been on sale on the Warlord site several times, and I think I got a pile of them for one pound each. So, um, yeah, when those sales happen, guys, get on. Well, okay, so what took you from converting that model to writing an entire adaption of bolt action or i guess a bolt on bolt action rules for this new conflict cuz i mean that isn't yes i understand wanting to play with the toy soldiers but was that the simple crux of it or did you have a bee in your bonnet about vietnam to start with um so so it was really just about wanting to play um vietnam wanting to play toy soldier vietnam and um I talked about it with Mark, who was always interested, and he um, was previously involved with, um, what's it called, uh, Flames of War, mm-hmm. um, doing some stuff there with them. And so he um, he kind of helped me push it to the forefront of our minds, and we just sat down one day with an old uh, um, Flames of War Vietnam book and um, started doing some basic conversion mm-hmm. and then spread out from there. Nice. And this, of course, is Mark Hazel. That's the one, yep. Nice. Cool. Well, I guess whenever you adapt a rule set, I guess one of the first questions I have for you is, how were you looking to make an internally balanced way of playing this? Or was it more of just getting something, getting your models on the table to play narratively? Or did you really try and make everything sort of balanced with existing bolt action armies. So let's just say you ended up at the club one day and you had your NVA and somebody else had their, you know, Battle of the Bulge Germans you could end up playing, even though it's completely ahistoric. Um, yeah, so the idea is to, um, you know, balance it, uh, not directly with bolt action, but it definitely needed a balanced um, base. Right. So un- unfortunately, we had to um, go a little bit, uh, well, ignore some of the, some historical points um, and some of the good fluff mm-hmm. to get some really good balance in there. Yeah. Um, and saying, can you can you get a one to one army on? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about this rule set as it stands in and of itself. So if you go to, by the way, we should say the official name. I keep calling it Bolt Action Vietnam, but that is not (laughs) its official name. It is VC on the Trail. And you can find it by going Google or sorry, going to Facebook and putting in VC on the Trail. um, Or you could go to Bolt Action Vietnam and those rules have been spread in there. Well, let's talk about the army list within it, um, because it would be easy, I think, to start and say, oh, OK, um, I have the VC on one side. I have, you know, maybe U.S. Army or Marines on the other. But you have gone significantly beyond those parameters, haven't you? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we have 
uh, Anzacs. We have U.S. military. We have Arvins, um, who are uh, the South Vietnamese. We have the North Vietnamese, and um, we have the VC. So that's five full army lists for this game. Yep. Nice. All right. Why don't we talk a little bit about each so people can get a flavor, perhaps, um, and then we'll maybe zoom back out. So like every army in bolt action, in uh, VC on the trail, there are national rules for each army. So you have taken the national rules from existing bolt action armies and sort of stripped them out. Um, the you, you don't get the usual U.S. rules, but you have sort of incorporated several in. So let's talk about the U.S. to start with. Um, they have two national rules, superior firepower and danger close, which I think is one of my favorite rules in this. Um, do you want to talk about wh what those do and why you gave them to them? Because I feel like they really do give these national rules, give each army a very distinct flavor um, that really fits narratively. Yeah, no problem. So um, we'll start with superior firepower. So uh, a big point about around um, Vietnam was radios. Mm. Um, so um, we, can, we can probably talk about that in depth and then uh, kind of get back onto superior firepower. Right. So um, researching through, we found what's called the RTO, uh, mm -hmm. or the command, essentially the command call and radio. And then you've got squad level, level radios as well. And um, the squad level radios are actually, um, it was very interesting. There are a lot of um, variety around how they use their squad radios and the different equipment. Right. And, you know, with um, Vietnam and the humidity, often equipment would fall to pieces. Right. So um, what you'd find is that the actual squad level radios were only one way. Right. And so if you scroll into the infantry squads and just have a look how they added there, so you can see in the late squads, you have them. So there's zero points. Oh, you're right. And so how, how these work, the squad level radios is that they, oh, let me find it again. So they can receive a snap to order at a, at a further range um, than they usually would be from the platoon commander. Right. But um, if they are snipered out, um, they suffer a permanent negative one to morale as if they lost their NCO. Right. So that, that's how the squad levels, uh, squad level radios work. Mm. Um, and then obviously you've got the RTOs. So the RTOs are the call-ins. Right. And traditionally what you'd find in Vietnam with uh, the Allied forces is that um, they would clear skies and either have artillery or aircraft. Right. So I've, I've always been a big um, proponent of the bolt action warplane rules. Mm. Um, so a good way to split this was making the RTO an artillery call-in and having the warplanes as their own separate entry. Right. That makes sense. Now, I guess I, I should have started with something slightly different, and we'll come back to the national rules. Um, this is not in and of itself. It's, it isn't like you're going to get, if you download these rules, to get all five army lists to get all of the rules, it is a 33-page document that you can download for free. Um, 
And what you get are two pages or a page and a half of rule conversions, which is a list of special rules and um, weapon profiles at the start of the document before you actually get to uh, the National Army list. And then you get the national rules. So what we are using are literally the bolt action rules as written. And then there are additional things like squad-based grenade launchers that you would expect Cold War advisors, RPGs, uh, miniguns, uh, modern versions of LA, uh, sorry, LMGs, um, light anti-tank weapons, uh, one consistent profile for a shotgun, um, single-shot <laughs> M40s, uh, and then you know, as you were talking about before, the squad radios, um, super bazookas, tracking dogs. I mean, there's all sorts of cool things in here. Uh, including rules, um, as you say, um, to take the warplane rules and expand them into helicopters, specifically transport helicopters, because they were such an integral part of that conflict, right? Yep, that's the one. Right. So, as a good host, I should have done that earlier. Now, <laughs> um, not to say that I'm a good host. In fact, probably the opposite. But anyway, moving on. Um, so, looking at these rules, I mean... They're really, it does modernize the weaponry from World War II by 20 years. It takes you up through the 60s, um, which is what you need for Vietnam, obviously. But then um, each, and our, each and every army list has national rules, as I said. They really does give it an individual flavor. Now, what's interesting is so much of Vietnam... Uh, the conflicts in there, I mean, of course it depends on the forces involved. Um, there's a million different ways to play it. You could have, you know, the close, intense jungle firefight um, that is often, you know, per portrayed in film versus the large open conflicts that happened between, um, you know, North Vietnamese regular soldiers um, later on when they invent, uh, you know, invaded uh, into the South and started fighting U.S. forces more blatantly. And, of course, the Tet Offensive. So, you know, you can go from, you know, really intense village and jungle firefights to these large conflicts. And what you've done is you've created, um, by just tweaking national rules and squad profiles, army lists that work across that conflict, um, do you want to talk about that process and how that worked? Yeah, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll talk about um, the development. So please, um, once um, Mark convinced me to <laughs> open it up to the internet, mm. um, I gathered around um, several people. One who was um, Jacob, mm. um, who helped me with the community side of it, and um, and his close tie, John. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two Perth guys. Right. And John's done a lot of um, testing for us, which has been great and running um, groups. And um, and then we've got um, the Volt, uh, VC on the trail um, officer corps, right. which is um, seven guys from around the world. And, um, and these guys, oh man, we, <laughs> every time I think about it, it's, um, it's it's really amazing because um you know we we've spent hours discussing extremely minor points um like the squad radio that i mentioned before i mm -hmm. think we spent maybe two or three days just discussing uh squad radio 
um, what it means, the difference between RTO, mm -hmm. uh, the historical context, balance, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then we'd drop it. If we don't like it, pick it back up again later, spend a few more days mm -hmm. arguing about it. And, um, you know, it, it's been hard work and um, definitely a, a brain strain on um on all of them so i really appreciate those guys because uh, that that's where all this balance come comes from that you see absolutely and i'd imagine with that many people from that many places um you really do have you know i'm assuming that people are also you know trying these rules out with their friends at home and i know that you guys have have had several events with this um rule set in different places once you've got all of that going you've actually been doing more playtesting than some fully published games that exist out there today. Um, and I, you're on version 1.61 at this point. So mm. you guys have been busy at uh, refining, reiterating, and really digging into what makes this rule set work, both from, you know, that matches the historics and at the same time is streamlined enough to sort of match the cinematic way that Bolt Action plays. Yeah, yeah. So... Um... Yeah, this is a this is a big bonus about um, this kind of community-driven thing mm. is that we could pump through massive amounts of changes, yeah. um, massive releases, and every time my release schedule is at least twenty items of change, addition, mm -hmm. or deletion, um, and so it's uh, it's constantly living, constantly living. So I think we started on the internet at 1.3 mm -hmm. and so uh 1.61 is really a change of what we do so 1.6 1.61 was saying all right well now now we've got a basic understanding of um the game the balance 1.61 and then we'll do 1.62 mm -hmm. um we've got a whole bunch of changes already um going into that um and and fundamental uh, missing units is, is so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, so much. Yeah, but yeah. So um, 1.61, 1.62 now means that we've got the base. Um, those can will be continued to be updated with um, essentially new units, mm -hmm. not so many changes and deletions. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, we're going to start working on theater books. Yes. I saw that you wrote that at the beginning of this rule set, um, that that was one of the next stages that you guys were getting into. And I think that's really yep. exciting because that's when you can really dig into themed forces and to play out the battles um, that you may have enjoyed reading about in, for example, the Nam comics or that you've seen in documentaries or read about in history books. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of scope there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, um, I find it hard because, you know, you, you, you always get fixated on just a, one battle. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to have to um, pull together some teams to um, go through the three different books that I'm thinking of mm -hmm. um, and then um, kind of draw it out and open it up and let, and see what the teams do. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially the three books will be um, Jungle Warfare will be the first one. The mm -hmm. second one will be um firebase and city fighting mm -hmm. and the third one will be um river combat nice and so we've we've we really would have had 
River Combat is the second, but it has fundamental rule changes concerning watercraft um, that we've got to really, really think about. So we've kind of left that to the last one for now. Right. Well, also, how cinematic would Firebase and Urban Combat be? I mean, it's just, I, I think that would be... For me personally, just when you were listing those out, they all sound great, but that one would be the one that I'm most excited about. So to hear that you say that that's number two gets me very excited, although <laughs> water combat and bolt action would be very cool. It would be funny to retroactively adapt it back to World War II. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a subject for another podcast. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit. Before we get, uh, and I'm sorry I dug into national rules so much early, let's talk about the scope of this game a little bit. Um, one thing I've noticed when going through the squad options is each army list has quite a few different ways to put, I mean, different types of units put down. Americans in particular have a wide range of units. Um, but the weapon options... Uh, are quite extensive, uh, especially in later war squads. But mm. one, and when I looked at the first, the first entries, early war squads, I was thinking, oh, you know, you won't be able to get enough weapons, you know, special weapons or like assault rifles, M16s on all the guys in that unit. And then I realized, in fact, the squad sizes are much smaller than traditional bolt action. Um, how did that come about? Because you yeah. can have squads of like four guys right yeah yeah so um a big point around this rule set um that we really um really worked very hard on was um fire teams and cells so fire teams are the allied four-man um mm -hmm. teams that a unit would be split into mm -hmm. um and then cells are obviously the communist um circle of three cell block which means uh three men in a cell three cells in a unit right three units in a platoon and it just goes on three yeah. three three the circle up um and it's quite interesting um but we'll go back to um fire teams for now right. so with, with fire teams obviously they split it out so that you don't have a specialist a commander Mm -hmm. and then uh, two extras in a fire team, and then you'd have a switch around of uh, the weapons with the next fire team in right. the unit. Um, but also at the same time, you could drop out. They often dropped out um, fire teams for MMG teams and so forth. So right. the unit composi composition gets very interesting. So the reason that we started with four men um, rather than the usual five or six with bolt action, is so that you could portray fire teams um, within Vietnam uh, and essentially cells as well, more to that extent, right? Um, without having to um, limit yourself um, to completely buying a whole unit. Mm -hmm. And it kind of changes the perspective on how the game plays as well. It does. It means that I think when you're building this up, um, because your the basic platoon selectors in this game uh, allow up to six basic troop squads, infantry squads, not just the usual five that would be in the reinforced platoon for bolt action, because the squads are smaller, 
you can get away with making smaller squads. So this is almost an easier game to pick up and put on the table because you have smaller mm. squads, but you can have more of them. Of course, you can yeah. beef them out and you could have, you know, two fire teams or two cells, um, as you say, or the three cells put together to make, you know, the the full unit. Um if you want to have more guys on the table, but it does really allow you to have that, that smaller skirmish style battle on the tabletop and you're still playing bolt action. Yeah, that's the one. So um, yeah, next, next thing I'll talk about is cells. So with the communist cells, the circle of three was very important. Mm. Um, and a whole um, perspective around that is the self um, self discipline. Mm. And so this is the idea that these three men actually slept very close, ate close, and were constantly accountable for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, if one of them thought about you know, running, the other two would um, take take over. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> and, um, okay. And, and make sure he got back in line with mm-hmm. the doctrine. And, and so what they'd do is, um, you know, the, the Soviets... Um, really relied on this um, circle of three to build their um, forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in and a, and a similar vein to fire teams, we would have um, a special weapon in a cell, and it, it would have a special weapon and a commander in a cell, and then the next cell would be a similar concept. Um, but realistically, in, in a cell, in a unit made of cells, you'd only have you know your one RPG, your one uh, grenadier. And your one uh, machine gunner, right? So it'd, it'd be it'd be it'd have a similar concept to, um, you know, World War Two units, um, but you start to see that breakdown of how they um, operate. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm flipping through the Viet Cong look uh, list while we're talking to look at what you're talking about, and yes, that that tracks totally. Oh yeah, they are much smaller, aren't they? Ah, mm. nice. Um, now, in this rule set, um, there is a proliferation of assault rifles. Um, now, yeah. uh, before some people, I know some people haven't necessarily played a lot of, I know some people who listen to the show loved Bolt Action Version 1 and maybe haven't played a lot of Bolt Action Version 2. Just as a quick reminder, um, they shortened the range of assault rifles in Bolt Action Version 2 and this rule set uses those rules. So what we're talking about is assault rifles with range 18 inches. Um, mm. They get two shots. And in close combat, the unit is assumed to have a uh, tough fighter. Now, with that, so there's a lot of opportunity for you to take AK-47s or M16s on either side of the conflict. Or, or Anzacs have different weaponry as well. Um, but there's yep. SMGs, LMGs. And RPGs. Now, LMGs in this game don't require loaders. Um, mm. But would you like to explain the RPGs? Because I thought it was a very subtle but clever way of handling those. Oh wow, this was the the RPGs were a real um, a real game changer. Mm. Um, so how we did these was we said, well, they need to have the long, a longer range mm-hmm. than a Panzerfaust. So the Panzer Shrek is an obvious choice, mm-hmm. similar hitting power. Right. And then it's got um, shape charge as well. So mm-hmm. it doesn't suffer the long range penalty. Yep. And then what we did was, well, you know, these guys um, use them as uh, against infantry, against everything. Yeah. 
so we added one little tweak in there that um, uh, is really interesting. I had to, that's why, if you see in the special rules, I had to kind of explain it out a little bit. Um, counts as a small arm. Mm-hmm. So this enables it several things. The first one is it can split fire. Yes. And the second part is that it can um, react against warplanes. Oh, I haven't played enough warplanes to pick up that nuance. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm. So as long as a small arm with a range of 24, um, Mm -hmm. it can um, be used to fire against warplanes. Now, maybe, I mean, as someone who's played it more recently than I have, um, when warplanes come in, um, let's say you have uh, a Huey Cobra coming in um, to strafe the jungle, and Mm -hmm. um, you have some VC in the jungle, and one of them happens to have an RPG. Talk to us about what, how hard would it be to hit? What kind of, I mean, it it is very unlikely, but it's not impossible. Yeah, yeah. So... The unit, as long as it hasn't gone yet, mm-hmm. uh, hasn't had dice assigned to it yet, right? Um, and the target point where the warplane um, comes in, so twelve away from its target, mm-hmm. as long as that's within twenty-four, um, then it, it can attempt to shoot at it, but it needs a six to hit, right? So. Um, very hard to hit. Um, obviously, from there, it's very easy to take out a warplane because they only have an armor of seven. Right. And with, with an RPG, you're, um, you've got a penetration of six. So you're guaranteed to um, do a lot of damage. Right. Um, but it's very interesting because it means that, you know, if you have quite a few um, units on the table, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, sure, you can have a, have a crack at um, warplanes. But... Um, you're not going to need some sixes. You'll yeah. need to uh, sacrifice quite a few turns. Yes, and but it's interesting because you might look at helicopters, thinking they're you know they're hard to hit, um, especially if you've applied some pins down on the on you know downrange to the people who are shooting at them. Oh, I guess they always hit on a six, don't they? Um, so the the pins I don't believe matter as much, but um, you might think, oh, they're really hard to hit. Uh, it's not worth taking. But if you factor in the fact that helicopters are also open-topped, it means mm. that if you have a whole squad shoot at them, for example, you do have the chance of applying pins as well, which is, yeah. you know, really yeah. good, right? But, yeah, but the second point, which is really interesting, because new assault rifles are only range 18, mm. they cannot target warplanes. Oh, of course. So that makes the regular rifle, that gives it, a, a place in this game, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Now, uh, you'll have to excuse me because a lot of what I know of the war um, revolves around, um, I guess I, I, I do know more than I think I, I'm, I'm letting on there, um, having read quite a few books about it. But from my understanding, I do know that the, um, the, the VC in particular used a lot of regular bolt-action rifles left over from other conflicts. The Americans have the options, for example, to take rifles in this game, but I'm not familiar with which rifle they were traditionally using in this conflict. Were they just holdovers from the Korean War? Yeah, they were. So they're the M14s. They were, okay. Yeah, and um, and a reason why we make them extremely available is because 
they were very often the weapon of choice, especially when it compared to the early um, M16s. Right. So because the early M16s had so many issues, you know, a lot of the old boys would still um, retain their M14s if they could. Mm, that makes sense, especially, as you say, in the early war. But as the M16 um, was further developed and they fixed a lot of the jamming issues and mm. um, you know all the problems that it had in the field, they did get way more uh, common, I guess is what yep. I'm trying to say. Right on. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Um, now, the Anzacs, were they using M16s as well? Um, because it does say assault rifles, but I am not familiar with the Anzac forces as well as I am um, U.S. and Vietnamese forces. Uh, no, the Anzacs were using the L1A1 self-loading ri- rifle. Oh, okay. So it's SLR. Right. And I actually have seen that, so that makes sense. Um, I mm. So... One of the cool things about this game is, um, and I know we've been talking a lot about the infantry and how that's great for, as you were talking about before, jungle warfare where it's, you know, tight and close and, you know, there are trees everywhere and the national rules that we'll get to play into that. Um, But I think you can't get past bolt action. One of the things that a lot of people love about it um, are the vehicles. And, of course, we talked about how helicopters are a big part of this game. Um, but planes, of course, are as well. All of the aircraft fall under the warplane rules, and that's nice, but for the tankers out there, this is a really exciting rule set because there's rules for tanks that we have never seen on the bolt-action tabletop that are really exciting. Um, How did you go about developing the rules uh, for so many vehicles? Were you adapting um, existing sort of reskinning existing World War II vehicles or did you sort of figure out a little um, you know do a little reverse engineering to get the point values to move forward to repoint everything yeah so I actually did yeah reverse engineering um, and kind of got a close a really close actually nice. um, I think there are only two massive um, two massive tanks that fell out of my back the engineering um, mm. calculations. That that was the Panther. For some reason, that's um, really a lot more expensive than it should be. Yeah, <laughs> Who knows? It's a great tank. So. <laughs> I think it's that uh, weird rule that the front arc is slightly heavier, and I think that throws yeah. it. Because I've literally done the same thing. And the Panther also didn't work. So when you said the Panther, I grinned ear to ear going, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because the Hitzer, um does work in that. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> right? I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about some of your favorite vehicles. Um, now, as a man who has a force for all five of these armies painted and ready to go, um, what are your, some of your favorites, or what are some things that you were just really glad that you get on, you could get on the table uh, that maybe aren't the best um, or your favorite thing to play, but as a, a lover of Vietnam, um, were just really exciting to be able to do. Yeah. So what I'll do is the first one I'll talk about is probably the Anzac M113s. Mm. Uh, now, these were exciting because um, the Anzacs did a lot of um, interesting stuff with their M113s because they realized they really didn't have any fire support vehicles, um, so they need to cover that off um, using the M113, mm-hmm. as well as um, a scout a scout, a reconnaissance option. Um, and so what you see 
really, really interesting M113 conversions. Um, so with the Anzacs, they started with the M113 um, FSV, so that's the fire support vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, so this had the older turret in it um, and older gear um, stolen from uh, a stag, I think it was a Staghound armored car. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's correct. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, exactly. Yeah. So it's got an, it's got an older um, older turret on it, um, and they look great. They look a hundred percent Warhammer. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and um, from there they developed um, the LRV, and uh, even their standard M one one three. Um, what is it? In my transport um, option with the T50 or T72 turret. Right. Uh, Hold very, on. very, very different. Right. They do. I'm actually Google searching what you're talking about while you're talking about it, and they look very different. Um, for those who aren't familiar with the M1113 is, um, it, it is the armored, it's the tracked armored personnel carrier um, that you often see um, allied troops using. I guess allied is that the right terminology in Vietnam? Yeah. Um, it, it you know for as you were saying, uh, Warhammer 40k. Uh, I would almost say this has um, you know echoes of a rhino tank. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is that sort of you know boxy armored carrier with the uh, the the two spots in the front for um, the the. The punt, sorry, the uh, the sponsons where guys can pop out and fire weapons, and then there's a great big door in the back that guys can get in and out of. But as you say, the variations, wow, there's a lot, um, and mm. it's really cool just to Google search that and just see what pops up because mm. that's great. And the fact that you can, there's rules for those, is even better. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So we we really um, dug into how the M113s work. Um, and, and and they're very interesting in the fact that they have aluminium ar aluminium armor, so mm -hmm. they actually are very very lightly armed, right. or, um, armored I should say. Um, and so they they really hung on the allies really hung on to these um, vehicles for a long time. You know you still see them um, up in the eighties, mm -hmm. and so, some countries might even still use them now. Right. Uh, so they're they're very interesting, very interesting vehicles to field. Um, and they sit um, as armored carriers. They do. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what, a, a big change um, that we have with the tanks in this rule book is a downscaling of guns and armor. Right. So we, we do have the T-34-85 um, later on. You'll um, we'll have a look at that. Because mm. uh, obviously that's quite interesting because if you're a bolt action player, you, you've probably got a T-34-85 sitting around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there, you know, quite a few people I know who are U.S. tankers. A couple of them have, um, oh, um, can't believe I'm blanking. All of a sudden, um, they were the bane of first edition with the the recce tank, um, the Chaffee. Can't believe ah, uh, the Chaffee, yeah, 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 which does appear in this uh, as one of the options for the Arvin. That's uh, the one. I'd, 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 that's a great segue, actually. So um, my my second favorite um, part of the armor in, mm -hmm. in Vietnam is all the old World War Two stuff, right? But 
And it's, it's fantastic. Um, so in the oven, you've got the Greyhounds, mm-hmm. the old M8s, and That's then right. you've got the Chaffees. And even though um, they're not um, World War II per se, mm-hmm. is the Walker Bulldogs, because they use a lot of the Chaffee um, right. tank parts mm-hmm. with an upgraded turret and gun. Now, were the Bulldogs also used, um, they were used in Korea, weren't they? think so yeah okay sorry tangential question anyway um but yeah right it it's really exciting to see those vehicles because some of these you look at you go oh that's an m and a whole lot of numbers uh i don't know what that is i'll skip it till they get to the next thing um and i was like oh zippo i know what that does um, but then when you get to like the Arvins, for example, you're looking down going, I know what that is. I know what that is. Oh, it's my old friends. They're all here. Oh, look, it's a pattern. <laughs> um, and it's cool. It's, I mean, it's a lot of fun to see those again. And of course, um, those would be the vehicles that the U S would be giving to or selling to the Arvin forces. Yeah. 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 So, um, particularly around, um, what is it? The M113s mm-hmm. and towards the end, the patterns. Yes. You know, they, the, the US just essentially um, mass supplied these things without training, without all the proper equipment in them. So the Arvin had a massive supply of them um, towards the end of the war. Hence them having the inexperienced options while the US forces don't always have those options. Mm, yep. Oh, that makes sense. Right on. Cool. Well, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the Allies. Um, oh, uh, did you want to talk anything about um, the Anzac vehicles coming in, or did you want to jump over to the opposite side of the uh, the ring, so to speak? Um, uh, Anzac vehicles. Uh, probably, probably quickly. One to mention is yeah, the actually. Uh, there's a lot to mention. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let, let me have a think. Um, yeah, yeah, great. So I guess one one quick one to mention is the Centurion. Yes. Um, so a very interesting tank, and you've you've got the rules over fr- um, in the Korean rulebook anyway. Mm-hmm. But you've got the addition of the Beehive round. Yes. Um, now I don't know if you want to talk about that now or when we talk about artillery, um, but it's it's a very interesting addition in uh, the Vietnam War. Well, let's talk about it because we're looking right at it. Um, uh, as in, we've mentioned it, and you know, let's not forget and get to it. Um, yeah. So the Beehive round is a single-shot round that counts as a medium howitzer, but has a range of twelve and always counts as being point blank, um, but has and has no long-range penalty. So this is mm. kind of like the shotgun round fired through these weapons, right? That's the one. That's the one. So we limited it because they would only carry um, a very small supply, usually not one. Right. But we thought um, one would be probably good yeah. enough um, mm-hmm. idea of how it worked within the game. Yeah. Um, well, giving you that um, blast. Right. And uh, it's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. And I like how it changes cost depending on the vehicle that you're putting it on. Um that you know the patent ha- is has a beehive round that's slightly more expensive for example um than the m53 spg for example yeah um, yeah so so that that was based on the fact that um 
if if you could get if you're a howitzer type gun, mm-hmm. then your beehive round would be cheaper because um, you wouldn't really benefit from it so much. There'd still be t- critical times to use it, but it wouldn't be your go-to. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have an anti-tank gun, um, adding the beehive round for ten points really opens opens you up to um, you know give that good he blast. Oh yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Um, well, how does that... Well, let's talk some other... So we have the Centurion, as you say. Um, yep. What are some other vehicles? Um, so then there's uh, the M113, the different ones that I've talked about there mm-hmm. already as well. And then you have... Uh, let's think about this. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the um, mortar carriers. So the the M125s. Right. And... The M106. So the, the M125 and 106 are available both for the Arvin and the Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did find the M125 available with a particular platoon, a cavalry platoon um, within the Anzacs as well. Mm-hmm. So these are very interesting. So these um, are the M113s, right. and they've got the um, back hatch removed. Uh, the top back hatch removed and replaced with either a medium or heavy mortar. Nice. Yeah. Kind of like the um, the half tracks in World War II. Mm. Yeah. 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 Much the same. And we actually um, we found that in a lot of rule sets, um, they limited them to not being able to forward fire. Right. And it's really interesting because we we found a lot of pictures where they would be forward firing and so forth, but no one could really guarantee it. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting thing where we kind of went, well, it's a lot easier to build these as forward-firing um, weapons within the bolt-action structure, right. and we can't confirm that they're only rear and side-facing, mm-hmm. able to shoot rear and side-facing. So, um, you know, we, we find more and more pictures every day of forward-facing um, these forward fa- them forward facing firing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a lot of um, thought going in around that. I mean, it's I guess at some point you just gotta say I guess it's toy soldiers. Um, we're pretty sure it's this way. Um, you know, if you find something different, let us know. Uh, but you know, from yeah. what we've seen, I think you're right. Let's just play a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Nice, nice. Well, let's talk. Um, I am dead keen to talk uh, the other side because we really do see a lot of um, Soviet vehicles that come in, um, particularly around the North Vietnamese forces, um, the more regular soldiers. Um, There are just a lot of cool things. Again, there's some old favorites from World War II that uh, make a reappearance. There's some new stuff in there that's pretty cool, too, that you just never got to see um, on a bolt-action tabletop before. Was there anything in there that you really enjoyed uh, coming up with the rules for or just are really happy they exist? Oh, well, um, the the NVA was probably my favorite part to mm-hmm. really dig into because this is one, um, as you know, it was the first um, figure I put together. So I really dug deep into um, figuring out, you know, how this all looked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'll probably first mention um, armor wisers we'll talk about the PT-76. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you can see a, a picture in the, in the bottom there of the PT-76. 
um, on the NVA tank support page, mm -hmm. uh, page 26. And so um, this is where the Soviets started going crazy with their um, one use or multi-use from one um, hull. And mm -hmm. even though the Americans did this to a degree with the M113s, um, the Soviets really took this to heart. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got the PT-76 um, built off, which is probably the main shell. Yeah. And then you've got what's called the BTR-50. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the BTR-50 is fantastic. But the main thing that they wanted to accomplish uh, was an all-round fire, fire fire base um, with these vehicles. Mm -hmm. So with the PT-76, um, fully amphibious, where it closes up and it um, mm -hmm. has actual turbines that push it. And then right up to its um, really well-made guns. Um, Medium anti-tank gun with a coax MMG, and you can add mm. a pencil-mounted HMG. Uh, as you say, amphibious, recce. Um, and that's just in the, I guess I'm looking at the scout support section version. Um, yeah. But then as you look into transport options, uh, as you go to the BT-40, uh, it it loses that turret, right? And but then it, yep. it gains open topped, it gains transport capacity, um, and you can add a pintle mounted medium machine gun to it. Yeah, it's yep. a very cool um, use of a hull. And the fact that I mean, these are very distinctly different vehicles on paper, but you know, very similar on the tabletop, aren't they? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's the it's the BTR fifty PK. Ah, sorry. Not the forty. Sorry, so I was if, looking if, at the forty. You're, you're right. It is the fifty <laughs> PK. Um, and it is. It is. Um, again, it it was basically what I was describing, except it is more expensive. It holds more guys, and you can add a pintle mounted HMG instead. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. I'm making. Ah. <laughs> it, it's been a very long beginning of the school year. I'm making all kinds yeah. of clerical mistakes this evening. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah. One of my one of my favorite um, holes, and um, it was actually very hard to try to find uh, decent files for these, and I ended up having to um, design my own tracks and so forth. Oh wow! Um, to to print out for twenty eight millimeter. So the BTR fifty PK uh, that I got from a Micro Armor one two hundred. Um, so the tracks were completely um, completely blocked out, whereas at least the PT seventy six were semi-usable, they just weren't great quality, and then they didn't look like my PK, my BTR-50 PK mm -hmm. tracks. So I had to um, change them out as well. But, nice. um, yeah, beautiful-looking yeah. tanks. Huge, massive. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the pictures with your guys in the background going, my God, that's big. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, um, I mean, of course, we saw, as I said, the SU-76 the SU-100, um, as you said, the T-3485. There's a lot of old friends in here to uh, revisit, which is pretty darn cool. Um, but, I mean, I guess a lot of these vehicles in bolt action, which is typically 156, is, uh, would be fairly rare uh, to find. So um, going off of what you just said, are you getting a lot of the vehicles uh, for these, you know, especially the more... Uh, rarely seen ones are you 3d printing those oh absolutely um the, the great thing about um vietnam war uh now is that everything is very much um available 
So I believe there is probably a decent PT-76. Um, as it stands, a decent PT-76 uh, printable version now. And so, yeah, you can, you can actually um, find a lot of these um, files around, and, that, and that's what a lot of us have done. So mm-hmm. there are some great manufacturers out there. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot of weird vehicles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, are you getting a lot of these on Thingiverse? Is there a particular place that you particularly, if someone's looking, if they're listening to this and saying, man, this sounds cool, I think I'm going to check out and see what's available. Um, yeah. Or is there another file survey, sharing service, or do you recommend paying someone through Patreon that you'd recommend who does good stuff? Um, where, do, where can people find good 3D print files for some of these vehicles? So you can find um, a lot of um, 1100 um, vehicles mm-hmm. from Thingiverse, yeah. and that covers you know the big ones, the T54s, the T34s. Um, but when it starts coming down to the rarer stuff, um, a good place to go is Wargaming 3D. So uh, the, right. these guys do specialize in may, in getting us uh, printable files for Wargaming. You find a lot, a lot of, a lot of times on Thingiverse. Uh, the file is really not good for printing. Correct. <laughs> not good yeah. for printing. So yeah, it's hit and miss. Whereas you know, war, war gaming 3D is, is a lot more guarantee around printability. Now you do pay for that, but it is still very affordable, especially mm. when compared to um, you know buying finished vehicles through I don't know a bigger company like Warlord, for example. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and and a, and a big part is the variants um because you you can't you can't get some of those a lot of those variants from warlord and it's even things like a, a, an even later t34 85 and things like that so absolutely even if you're thinking you know yeah it's great using warlord stuff um but you know you can you can get the even later versions mm-hmm. of a lot of these things and um it really adds dynamic to the game it does. And if you, I mean, if you do have, for example, a T-84, sorry, T-3485 um, from your World War II collection, then you're thinking, oh, well, maybe it's not late war enough. Some of these were absolutely passed down um, and reused oh, again yeah. and again. So you absolutely <laughs> can. It's not mm. that you need to throw out what you have. But if mm. you are going down that rabbit hole and you think, ooh, I want the 1960s version, well, you can get that, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Adds that variety, right? Mm, definitely. Well, uh, let's let's quickly left turn here a little bit while we're talking models. Um, there are a lot of companies that do 28 millimeter or 156 uh, Vietnam era models. I was doing some research for this episode. Now, Empress seems to do an excellent range. Um, Gringo 40s, um, both of those companies do uh, very nice Americans in different varieties. Um, Assault Group does some good Americans, and they also do some VC. Um, Now, Empress, do they do North Vietnam? Yeah, yeah. So they're they're really um, starting on the North Vietnam stuff now so yeah. they've just released a um a female medic uh it's very nice yes <laughs> nice now uh, what are some of the other companies i know eureka does um a small range of uh vietnam era forces 
Um, do you recommend any others that um, just look great? I know you converted a North Vietnamese force, as we said earlier, from Warlord's Plastic Japanese. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, so other than those, there's also SHQ miniatures. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not fantastic, but um, they'll do in a pinch, and they actually have most things available. So uh, what you notice is that there's quite a few pictures from these, and the, the Americans in particular, mm. um, of the SHQ miniatures. Oh, um, nice. I, I wouldn't recommend mixing them with anything because they are big. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, but, um, the scaling is a problem sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I managed to push together an army of them, so at least I can use them for photos. But mm -hmm. um, those are available as well. Nice. Yeah, I I've been particularly enamored with the uh, the Gringo Forties stuff recently because yeah. they mm -hmm. look amazing. As do the Empress. Um, mm. I've sort of been going from one uh, shopping cart to another and never quite hitting the buy button. But um, both of them are calling out to me in very different but very very real ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, so good. Yeah. And and they actually um. Between the wall, uh, the Empress and the um, Gringos, they scale very nicely together. Okay, I didn't need you to tell me that. That's, uh, <laughs> information I definitely didn't need, and I'm sure people listening didn't need either. Um, the Assault Group, are they the, they, I guess, them and um, uh, Eureka, I guess, they're the only ones that I could find VC Um troops i know there was the pulp range and there um they had sort of like the weird vietnam war models and i think mm. there were some vc models in there um yeah but are those the two mains for vc yeah they they would be again shq do, do some as well mm, of course uh so that's an option yeah not nice. a great option that's an option okay okay <laughs> okay um and um Okay, so let's talk a little bit about then once you have your models and you start putting them on the table, um, let's, I mean, national rules, uh, maybe rather than getting into them nitty-gritty-wise, um, maybe we can just do a brief overview of each. So what yeah. generally do the American national rules allow you to do? Yeah, great. So essentially the American superior firepower. Mm -hmm. So the, the Americans have essentially their artillery spotter, or what's called the RTO, right. mixed directly into um, the command squad, mm -hmm. uh, just because they, they work much differently compared to um, how the World War II artillery observers used to work. Right. Saying that uh, even though the Arvin follow the same kind of doctrine, the Anzacs um, still use the older system. Oh, okay. uh, so with with the national rules, the superior firepower allows the RTO um, to attempt a second artillery strike. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a copy of essentially the British rule, um, mm -hmm. just just giving the Americans the idea of the firepower. Right. But they also can call airstrikes in, or they can call strikes in on themselves, um, mm. like. You know, if their lines are being overrun, they can bring the artillery or, I guess, airstrikes in on themselves, right? Yep. Yep. So the second one is the danger close rule. Right. Um, and this this is fan, This is a really, really interesting rule that I thought of. And it was 
what it does is it reduces indirect fire weapons um, minimum range by six. Yeah, so this this allow does allow them to really drop drop rounds drop rounds on their own heads. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, as we saw in quite a few movies and read in quite a few battles, they actually did. Um, and I think that's again super themey. Um, well, let's talk. Um, how do they then differ from the Arvin? Now the Arvin have um, a free unit. Yeah, yeah. So. What we found with the oven was that um, they have this massive dump of supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they really don't have the same kind of firepower. Americans would often um, oversupport themselves um, compared to when they'd support the oven and the Anzacs. And so I'll I'll quickly talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why we have separated the warplanes. Um, into allied and red rather than giving um, the player each their own warplanes mm-hmm. um, for each individual force. And this is because they shared a lot of um, the support and support tactics. Right. And and so what you've got is um, the, the Americans um, you know, having different uh, qualities of support when it came to enforcing themselves and other nations. Mm-hmm. And so with the oven, because you've got this massive dump of weapons and so forth um, onto them at literally any time of the war, um, you've got essentially this free unit. So it has to particularly be particularly be a um, M113 um, transport or the UH-1 slick. Right. But then, and that sounds really good. I mean, to have a free transport, and those are both excellent transports. But their next rule is a little hit or miss, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, the next rule is the is called pacification Vietnamization. So this is exploring um, the political um, ability of the Arvin. Right. And so what you get is um, Arvin units. Um, may reroll failed order tests if the Arvin player is currently winning. Right. Uh, using victory points um, from both sides. But the downside is that um, they're often quite scared of um, you know, shooting their own man, even if they're a North Vietnamese. And so any regular... Um, unit that rolls 12 for an orders test mm-hmm. will have to roll in the FUBAR chart if any other unit is within 12. Right. Um, so because there's such a large political deceit going on, they mm-hmm. really couldn't trust um, each other as well. Right. And they also failed that FUBAR uh, friendly fire test on a result of a 1 to 3 rather than just a 1 to 2. Right. So 50% of the time they're shooting their own guys. Every time. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. A little Ron Burgundy there for you. Um, yeah, which really does sort of, well, it does. It makes them a lot, well, not a lot, but it makes them more unreliable, which, you know, thematically feels right given the political turmoil of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And and it will really play on to the fact, so you, you'd obviously have some better units um, amongst the Marines, the Tigers and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you would have, you know, a lot of these... Um, Units that were just uh, just didn't want to just didn't want to get in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And uh, that is reflected. Again, um, I guess I, I have not mentioned, but a lot of the units within these army lists have individual unit rules that differentiate them further from the list. I mean, we have paratroopers that have stubborn. Um, I mean, there's there's all sorts of rules in there. And I don't want to necessarily give it all away because it really does open up beautifully when you read it and you really do get the feel for the army um, but I'm afraid that would just bog down in conversation without yeah. <laughs> having seen it in its totality, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk Anzacs. So what Anzac yep. rules do we have? So with the Anzac rules, we really looked at the um, Pacific War book because mm -hmm. that really dug in properly into the nature of the Anzacs. So we've got um, cautious movement. So the Anzac player automatically wins the roll-off for who places their first for deploying unit. Right. In addition, no enemy forward deployers may set up with an 18 of an Australian unit already deployed. Nice. So um, that obviously is only any forward deployer units. Mm -hmm. Also, Anzac infantry spot hidden enemies at a range of 18 rather than 12. Right. And don't they also get, um, if they're defending in hand-to-hand, -hand, um, yep. they get a bonus for that. Yeah, so that's that's the second rule, ferocious um, reputation. Ah, yes, go ahead. Yeah, so when defending in an assault, um, Anzac infantry and artillery units count as having the fanatic special rule. But only when defending. Right, yeah, that makes a big difference, but it means, you know, the way you play them, you know, you want people to assault you, so you have to, mm. got to build that situation to occur. Um, mm. Or maybe you don't. Uh, maybe you mm. don't want to be assaulted, but if the, you do, um, you know that you have that rule to help back you up. Yeah, and, and so how this places the Anzacs um, compared to the Americans in the Arvin is that they're actually uh, you know, a lot more cautious in the jungle when compared to the Americans. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, they're the ones that were often um, a lot of the time sent forward to scout out areas and told, told to hold a bit of ground Mm -hmm. And um, they're very dogged in um, achieving those objectives. Yeah, these special rules absolutely reflect that too. So, yeah, man, perfect. Um, shall we talk about the VC? Now, the VC yep. have, um, again, national rules that absolutely give them a different way to play. Um, and in my mind, really do kind of reflect what you'd expect if you are a big uh, fan of Vietnam uh, Vietnam movies or the Nam comic book, where you have, um, where they're able to move through or run through the jungle where all VC units treat um, vegetation, rough ground as open ground. And um, if they're in light cover that's bestowed by jungle area effect, that sort of thing, um, instead of light cover, they get heavy cover, yeah. um, which is, you know, really does give them an edge in those firefights, but their mm. army list is far more restrictive. So it may sound like, wow, those are great. Na that's a great national rule. It is. Um, but, you know, they don't have, they're not backed up by the vehicles that the other nations are. Um, yeah. 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 And, and, and what we've probably, when I'm, I'm working on at the moment is um, a few captured vehicles, um, from the oven that mm. the VC had access to, but these have the unreliable rules. So right. um, what you'll find later on in probably the next few editions is that you'll see, you'll see some vehicles coming up, but they will be 
either super specialized to uh, adapting to the, their um, national rules, mm-hmm. uh, much like the Carters um, later um, later on, right. um, or they'll be um, not great quality, unreliable vehicles, um, and only in limited experiences. Right. And that makes perfect sense, too. Um, but they also have, uh, if you are leaning into infantry with these guys, they have another rule, don't they? Conscripted rebels. Yep. So if a VC army includes three or more inexperienced VC rifle sections or VC cells, then it may include a free inexperienced VC rifle section or VC cell identical to the cheapest one. Nice. So that allows and, you to bulk out your forces with, uh, yep. with your cheapest unit. You can just repeat it. Yeah, that's correct. Nice. Well, let's talk North Vietnamese. I saved that one for last because uh, I know it is one of your faves. Uh, talk to us about how that, how those national rules give that army its flavor. Great. So um, the North Vietnamese um, had very um, direct orders, um, and obviously they were um, more in line with a particular tactic uh, that the government implemented um, around actually assaulting and taking ground rather than holding it and you know being an annoyance mm-hmm. so one way to reflect this was um, what we call the national rule called you'll kill 10 of us we will kill you we'll kill one of you but in the end you'll tire of it first so this is a particular quote from ho chi Minh's second i believe um and so all um mva infantry units have the fanatic special rule Oh, wow. Yeah, that is good. As a Japanese player, that's very good. Mm, mm. So that that one there is, um, yeah, much in the same vein of the politics of the Japanese mm-hmm. and transferring that over. So it's great. So the second one um, that really adds to that is called grab them by their belts. So right. mm-hmm. the idea of this rule is that um, because... Um, the American and allied firepower was so great and ferocious towards them. Um, one tactic, oh, which, which, souls, which the NVA recall was um, grabbing them by their belts. So making sure you move up close um, and, and that's your one goal, just get in close. So NVA infantry units can move into ambush positions. So I think that's like the finish rule. And so Correct. the idea of this one is to keep you moving. So in combination with the fanatic special rule, um, it will just keep keep the MVA, MVA moving forward, get into range. Yeah, that's cool. And that combined with um, the units and the vehicles gives the army a very distinctive flavor. Yep. Nice. Well... Mate, we've been talking for well over an hour now, and I feel like we haven't even begun to get into the proper crunch of this. Um, I think, I think we, I think folks need a chance to go back and look at this, and I think we'll either have to have you on or have Jacob uh, on to talk about maybe some of the events that he's been running for this game, just so we can dig into more depth. I, I definitely will be playing this. Um, at least with proxies to start while I figure out what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Because it, it feels familiar, and I look at, and I know what the rules do, and I know how bolt action works, but it feels different enough to go, oh, this is sort of an exciting new frontier. Yeah. Um, has that been your experience with it as well? Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. Um, 
you know, all the all the equipment's different. You've actually got your um, webbing rather than your really basic clips and belts and mm-hmm. bags. Um, and so, so you start seeing seeing that come through. And obviously, um, weapon allocation really becomes interesting. Uh, so your Grendir starts really making an impact in a um, really basic infantry squad. Nice. Yeah, that's so cool because, yeah, again, as a kid, I read the NOM comics um, growing up on U.S. military bases. It was one of those comics that you would always have the chance to get. Um, U.S. servicemen apparently loved it in Japan in the 80s. But um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it really did shape my understanding of the war. Um, and my friends and I played the NOM role-playing game uh, by Palladium way back when. And while that was really exciting and, you know, there was, you know, dungeon crawls in the form of tunnel rats going down tunnels and it was a really rich and interesting way, uh, you know, role-playing environment, I think this really does suit uh, tabletop. I mean, all, I wouldn't say, I mean, if you want that that claustrophobic jungle, I think skirmish absolutely fits, you know, smaller squads, um, lower point values. But man, mm. when you start talking about urban combat and firebase assaults, and you start thinking about that John Wayne Green Berets movie, you know, mm. a tragedy as it is, um, watching that movie and thinking, man, I want to put Sulu on the table, um, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. This this scope of this thirty three page document is really exciting, and uh, it's gotten me excited for bolt action. Uh, and in a may in a way that you know maybe I haven't been in uh, recent months, so it's definitely got my juices flowing, and I'm very excited about it. As you can probably tell by me tripping over my tongue and being super excited about it. So, <laughs> my hats off to you guys. I mean, a lot of work has clearly gone into this document, um, and you're not doing it for money. I mean, this is all out of love and uh, wanting to, you know, share with the community. So amazing, man. Yeah, that, that, that's the one, and um. Yeah, keeping it as a community living document um, has actually meant the world, especially for its transformation. Um, it's uh, it definitely looks different to one point three, um, and uh, hopefully it shows. Nice. Now let's go through the socials again, so folks can find you. Um, I will not mess it up this time. Um, so I'll let you do it. Um, where's the best place for people to find these rules? So the best place to go is our search on Facebook for VC on the trail. Yeah. And we do have a WordPress website. So VC on the mm-hmm. And that's where you'll find um, information of our releases of coming up of supported links and the community and so forth. And uh, those are the best place to find us. And also, uh, there is the Bolt Action Vietnam page. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're extremely active on that. Yeah, you are. Um, because oh, there's just so much to talk about. Right? <laughs> so but if you, if, you're, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, but if it's a couple guys and, you know, they may not, you know, support, uh, you know, not sure if I'll ever get a game or whatever else. G- guys, the, the Bolt Action Vietnam page I've been a member for, God, a long time now, but it has grown so much in the last couple years. 
and just to watch the the level of hobby and to see what people are doing and the conversation it's really cool if you're interested in bolt action and you're interested in vietnam i highly recommend you join that group uh, it's just cool it's cool and again this is all mm. free it's free it's better than yeah. you know it's the best price ever if you don't like <laughs> it they'll refund you your money um you should check it out it's amazing well, mate, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, David, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, um, thanks for having me on, mate. No worries, brother. Now, uh, any last tidbits for folks who may be interested in this? Any parting thoughts? Um... Yeah, so I, I, th I think one thing to keep in mind about Vietnam is, is that, you know, if you've, you, we, we like the bolt action roll into the bolt action warlord figures. Mm -hmm. And there's a massive amount of conversion that can be done yeah. um, just with some simple weapon changes. Uh, it's actually very easy to build the Arvin um, because they actually used very old um, American uniform. Mm -hmm. um, and as you can see, a lot of the um, MVA that I build is all um, from the Japanese. So That's right. if, if you think, you know, uh, Maybe, maybe not get into it. If you've got some U's sitting around and some Japanese, you know, I've got some very almost proxies into um, how, how these guys look. That's a very good point. And would you say for those who want to be a little button county about this kind of thing, that perhaps you would be talking about like the Pacific Marine models for the Arvins? Yeah. So um, with Arvin, you can, you can actually get really well into it because they use the M48 helmet. And so that's very similar to um, the late war American helmets. Mm -hmm. And so you can use the Pacific War uniforms and then get the, um, I forgot it was called the Japanese heads wearing the American helmets. Yeah, the um, Nisei. Nisei, Nisei, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so you get those heads and it's literally your oven. <laughs> right there. fascinating. I hadn't even thought to do that. That's, oh, I know what I'm doing. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. Um, and, um, oh, yeah. So right off the bat, you're ready to go. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no worries. And then so with the VC, um, you can convert uh, Japanese very, very quickly with a few weapon swaps. And I ended up even using the helmets uh, because they have a molding on them at the top, which makes it look um, kind of like a deeper version of um, a plith. So um, wow. of the Pacific helmets. So yeah. with a bit of um, paint trickery, you can get them looking pretty good. That's right. And then, and then especially if you go, um, one that I'm working on now is um, the Chinese, the PLA forces, um, because they actually still had putties on their legs. Ah, and that is what the Japanese plastics have. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Would you have to change the helmets for those? Not at all. They actually use direct copies. Um, but <laughs> for my ones, I'm going to change the helmets to the um, soft caps just because my um, MVA actually already used those Japanese helmets. Right, right. But yeah, the um, PLA used direct copies of the Japanese World War II helmets. So no that change, happens. just weapon swap and do some bag swaps. So you just use uh, usually the Soviet sprue mm -hmm. um, 
gas mask bags and SMG pouches and just place them higher up the body. Very easy conversions. Yeah, and perfect. And you're ready to go. Yep, that's the one. Nice. Oh, man, that's fantastic. It means a lot of those Warlord models that a lot of us already have, if we're keen, you know, keen to try this game, we can use right off the bat. And if you're having a hard time finding those modern weapon sprues, um, there are alternatives. Um, I got a lot of AK-47s from uh, the Assault Group, and they're just plastic, sorry, not plastic, metal. And they work really well with bolt-action plastics um, in converting some red shadows for my G.I. Joe Cobra project. Um, I ended up with a giant pile of metal AK-47s that just perfectly fit um, by just cutting off the back butt of the rifle and then sticking it directly onto the plastic arms. It's a really easy conversion, and it looks great. So, um, yeah. And you can find them and buy all sorts of different versions of that. Um, they have some really cool weapons that are perfect scale for uh, Warlord Plastics. And again, that's the Assault yeah. Group. Yeah, yeah, and, and they, they cover you for everything from your um, you know, basic M16s and AKs right up into your RPGs and your mm-hmm. laws. Um, and M60s. So yeah, they got M60s, it all, man. Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I'm, I'm feeling the, uh, I believe they do if you buy enough of models and like a bonus model and you don't have to buy many to get their bonus models. I believe they do a John Rambo model. I'm just saying that, <laughs> that might be completely wrong, but I do have my eighties fixation. I, I may have to get that anyway. <laughs> on that note, I think, uh, I think I've left turned one too many times. Uh, David, thank you again for coming on and for putting up with me this evening. It is, uh, Beginning of term is always a busy time, and I know that uh, I'm a little brain dead. It is the beginning of our school year, and it's been nuts. But um, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, uh, I hope you've enjoyed talking or hearing this conversation as much as I've been, uh, as much as I have having had it with David. Um, if you'd like to know more about um, Bolt Action Vietnam, again, go to the Bolt Action Vietnam group, uh, go to VC on the Trail. Um, you can find that, of course, on WordPress or on Facebook. Um, If you have questions or requests uh, about something that maybe I've talked about or you want to make suggestions for future shows, you can find Cast Dice on Facebook. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Message the page. My name is Brad. I'm the only one who answers, and you are guaranteed to reply um, as soon as I'm awake. Uh, I know that some people message and say, I wonder why he isn't replying. And they've actually said that in messages and said, well, um, I do live in Australia, and uh, despite the accent... And uh, sometimes I'm just literally asleep for six hours until, you know, yeah. So uh, the time difference is is real. Anyway, uh, guys, podcasting doesn't cost anything, um, but time is very important to many of us. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen today. Uh, We do really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, I hope that you guys, as always, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope you are having fun. Good night.
Spam. 